Welcome to Blockchain Won't Save the World, the podcast that aims to demystify blockchain and exponential technologies with real-world examples for beginners and experts alike. Because blockchain won't save the world. We will. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. Today, we're going to talk about blockchain and its application in construction an industry where there's a significant demand for transparency, where there's still a relatively limited amount of digitization. And I'm really excited today to have Niels Falk joining me. He's the CEO of HD Lab, based in the Bloxub in Copenhagen. Niels, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. So, spoiler alert already, we're going to talk about construction. But before we get into that, Niels, give us a little bit of your origin story. How did you first start working with blockchain technology? So I have a construction background. I've been working on construction sites and, and all that for about 25 years. I'm a civil engineer by trade. And over the last couple of years, I've been working with uh, a couple of other people in um, technology for construction. So we've mainly been working with 3D models and virtual reality and, and uh, generative design and all these things, uh, types of things, collaborative document share systems and all that. We kind of came across blockchain just like everybody else, you know, five, six years ago. And we kind of knew about it on a, you could say wide magazine level. Uh, so we could kind of talk about it at dinner parties without getting too embarrassed, but we didn't really know that much about it. And then uh, about two years ago, I was at a conference actually in Copenhagen with the Nordic Blockchain Conference. And there was, everybody was there. There was, uh, you know, the politicians were there, the bankers were there, the tech people were there, you know, the tinfoil hats were there, you know, uh, and the discussions were going on, you know, oh, we're going to burn a new hole in the ozone layer using all this energy and oh, we have the opportunity to create new money and this is going to be bigger than the internet and this, that, and the other. And it was just a little bit crazy, uh, everything that was going on. It just added to the fuel of, you know, the few of us there who just said, ah, this is just hype. And then one guy got up and it was actually uh, uh, Christian Lessons from IBM, who was the Nordic lead at the time. And he got up on stage and he said pretty much, everybody needs to calm down right now. <laughs> and he said, this is just another database. It's a very specific kind of database with a very specific set of rules. And if that works to solve your problems, this is the best thing you've seen for 10 years. I said, okay, here we go. So he went through his presentation and I came out of it looking at blockchain completely differently because I've had this Bitcoin application uh, as the, the main application uh, through that. And then we had the chance I was in, at CES in Las Vegas in uh, January of 19. And that's where Walmart did their presentation of, well, one of their presentations of their, their mango case, the big food trust thing. They did that on the big stage and we had a chance to talk to them afterwards. So I kind of got eased into, you can say, the business applications and, and the, this whole network data thing. And at pretty much the same time, Mask, who's a Danish company, they started up with the trade lens. So we, we were kind of thrown into the discussion at the time and started asking ourselves, is this a technology that could really help construction or is it just another technology to add to, to the pile? Construction is often a very complex, multi-party, very manual, often opaque industry. Why do you think it's such a good space or an appropriate space to be looking at blockchain technology? The thing we found is we actually did like uh, we did a project around this where we tried to engage the industry to to kind of mine a little bit about why is blockchain a, a good idea. And what we found is that construction has very low digitalization as as one thing, and another thing is it's considered a very conservative industry. Somebody from outside the industry will look at construction and say, yeah, they're like always fighting, they always screw up the projects, and uh, it's very old fashioned. The thing is. It's because of the, the social construct of construction that comes from, you know, it's really difficult to make a construction project. It's new people, it's the complex product and all that. So the conservatism actually comes from uh, as, as a self-protection mechanism. People like to do things the way they did them 20 years ago because then they know they work. And the reason the construction often fails is because what they're doing is really difficult. But there's not a lot of collaborative technologies uh, available for, for construction that are construction specific. So we found that there is actually a big need for uh, digital technologies, especially that can manage complex data sets, that can uh, exchange data, that can uh, give transparency and that can uh, support collaboration. So when we started mapping out where in construction there actually is a, a lot of digitalization, we also found that there's some very big green fields where there's no digitalization. And that's because those are the places that are really difficult to digitalize. And a lot of it has to do with interaction between multiple parties and people. 
Uh, a lot of it has to do with data that changes rapidly and with uh, uh, network organizations that are chaotic and autonomous and that generate exponential data. The way construction has solved that in the past is by building very big information systems. So one of the problems that we have in construction is that we have a ton of information, but we have very little data. So when, we, when you look at that picture, this actually blockchain may have an opportunity to be a technology that out of the box works with some of the challenges that, uh, let's say, more conventional technologies has a hard time adapting to and, and fixing. So it actually meshes up quite well that this technology is applicable for this somewhat conservative but very collaborative industry that's not very digitalized. So as often happens, serendipity gets in the way. So you're starting to see Danish companies using this technology at scale. You're starting to get more clarity from conferences and events that are becoming less hypey. You're starting to explore the fundamentals of digital transformation in your industry and starting to ask more questions. And then the city of Copenhagen comes along with an initiative. Tell us more about that. It's the industry foundation that's based in, in the city of Copenhagen that came with this initiative. It has multiple fathers and mothers, but they, they basically uh, set aside a chunk of money and set out to all the industries in Denmark, is blockchain hype or is it the next big thing? We don't know. And they're like an organization that runs a lot of development projects and a lot of development in Denmark. So they, they wanted to fund somebody who, who wanted to find out. And uh, we sat down with some of the people we had the pre-project trying to explore what blockchain is and how it could work in construction. So we went to them and said, you know, construction is never going to find the money to do this exploration. We came together with a couple of tech suppliers, uh, some people, some different people from, from the industry. And we said, let's try and do this. Let's try and build five to eight different blockchain solutions, test them out in practice and, and see if they work, if they can make higher productivity, if they can make more sustainable solutions, if they can raise quality and if they can improve collaboration. Just make a few proof of concepts and, and see where it goes. So, and they, they really liked it. It was one of, I think there were 60 something projects that uh, maybe 80 that, that kind of went through the first round. And there were eight projects selected and, and we got selected very fairly early for this because they really liked the idea that we were not just looking at the technology and sitting around the table discussing how fantastic it was, but we're doing something hands-on. And we were not just looking at you know, solving a technological problem. We were looking at solving, you know, can this improve productivity? Can this improve sustainability? And even though we'll only get a few pieces of maybe anecdotal evidence of it, then that's much better storytelling when we go back to the industry and say, you know, you shouldn't do this. You should do this. There's some potential in this. In five years, this is what we can, can do faster. So what we hope is that this investment and the, the two-year project that we're running will help to uh, accelerate the knowledge about blockchain and what it can do in the industry and then for once put the construction a bit ahead of the curve instead of uh, always being 10 to 20 years behind. And that's really interesting because you've identified that there are very clear inefficiencies or risks or that from a sustainability perspective, we can be doing more, but the industry is not prepared to foot the bill or they don't have the capability or the time to invest in the research. So it's actually taken the public sector and some willing participants to explore this in more detail. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that's also a typical thing in Denmark. We are, as a country, we are a lot of things, you know, we're like very little uh, religion, very uh, little corruption, uh, very happy people. Uh, you know, there's a ton of gold medals that we uh, hang around our necks. And one of them is that we're one of the most digitalized countries in the world. The thing is that that digitalization, if you start to, to look at it, a lot of that stands on the foundation that our governments whether they were left-wing or right-wing, have invested in, in technology. So a lot of it has to do that we have a, a public infrastructure. We have uh, some very, very cool uh, systems that you can use as a patient in a hospital, that you can use as a taxpayer, that you can use as a company. So we've been fully digitalized in, in a number of areas 10, 15 years before uh, a lot of other countries even started. We have a tradition of digitalizing from uh, a state viewpoint, which helps a lot when you're a, a very local industry like construction. Here, the, the government and, and somebody who invests in this can actually lift a lot because uh, we can make industry solutions afterwards because we're used to that. So the conditions are right to start progressing this. I'd love to double click more into the use cases. So you mentioned there were a sure. number of different areas that you looked. Tell us a bit more about the problems that you were looking to solve. 
Can I talk a little bit about the process first? Because I think that was that was a little bit interesting. We we started off, we had five workshops. That was pre, you know, getting the project from industry in terms of the industry foundation. So prior to that, we sat down in Blockshop, five different groups. So there was one group of researchers and organizations, you know, like the trades and all that, where one group that was like the tech people, one that was construction, you know, uh, on-site people, one that was like business leaders and all that. And every time we ran, we ran the same workshop. So we would educate them first on what is a blockchain and how does it work, all the way down to the bits and bobs and show them examples and show them use cases and all that. And then we would... After that, have a brainstorm about, you know, what use cases can you find? You know, what, what problems would you like to get solved? And out of that, out of those five workshops, we got, I think, don't kill me, but like 134 different ideas. We triaged those ideas, kind of checking, you know, which one of these can you solve with a SQL database and a credit card? Where do you not need a blockchain, but you just need a solution? So we kind of threw those away. And uh, we ended up having 56 different uh, use cases that we, we did like a classic consultants A3, you know, about da, 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 how much value and what will the investment be and is it feasible and this, that, and the other. So we kind of went through all, all, all those motions and ended up with a check of does this actually, you know, at the end of it, is this use case actually something that stands on a, on a blockchain? Just that we have eight character traits that we tried to validate it against. So we got these uh, 56 interesting uh, use cases, and out of that came 11 that were kind of worked in a space where we said we want them to be something that's new and big, solve a problem that we've been unable to solve before. It has to do with transparency, as you also said. It has to do something with traceability, and it has to do something with collaboration, because those are like the four main puzzle pieces that were missing in digital con construction. So it kind of had to adhere to them. And we had 11 that were shortlisted, and then we ended up now in this project building five very different types of blockchain uh, solutions. Obviously, you had to start with blockchain being part of the research focus, but you've then flipped it halfway through and said, we think that there are a set of criteria that are very specific to these sorts of initiatives or these sorts of technology initiatives where it requires multiple parties, it requires transparency, it requires traceability, and those use cases plus value or a feasibility to be able to implement them is where we're going to focus. So actually you stop going looking for an application for the technology, rather you look at the criteria for a business network or consortia, and then you solve for business value. Absolutely. I mean, we didn't forest gump our way there. We didn't just go, you know, <laughs> walking and found these solutions. It was a controlled process and we knew we may not have known what we were doing, but we kind of knew what we wanted to achieve. So we said, Looking at this just as technology, looking for a problem, when you have a hammer, everything looks like nails. So we were very much aware that when you start off by saying, we have this technology, is there a problem it can solve? You will end up with a ton of problems that you just want solved that has nothing to do with the technology. And then it's a hammer and nail all over. So you need to do both things. You need technology looking for a problem. And then when you look at the problems, you need to readdress them and say, are these you know, really our problems? And then you have to take the problem looking for technology and then you kind of have to make that. But so that was kind of the exercise, getting the ball from one end of the court to the other, back and forth a couple of times until we ended up with something where we said, these, these are actually very, very cool use cases. And I think it was actually because we spoke to the industry and to different layers of the industry. And we talked to them about blockchains. Very quickly, the discussion was, oh, I wish we had something that could fix this. Maybe blockchain can do that. And then we checked it up against the special characteristics of blockchain. We're like, it probably can't, but you, we can also do it in Excel, and that's probably easier. Don't worry. We've got a, an SQL database and a credit card that can help solve your problem later in life. Absolutely. And that, that was actually as stupid as that sounds. That's actually a very good task, you know, a, a very good a level to go out and say, you know, can we solve this with dirt cheap technology that we already have and know very well? We actually took a lot of inspiration from, um, I am so old that I remember, the, uh, the, not the internet, but uh, the World Wide Web being born. I started my first year of uh, engineering was in uh, 1989 when they came out with the, the description of the World Wide Web. That's a crazy period if you go out and look at the technology that starts off with a memorandum in uh, 1989 and ends up with the World Wide Web being everywhere in 1999. Some, somebody started with a white paper and now we have cat memes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, but the, the thing we, we looked at was, where were we in 1999 with the World Wide Web? And we went back in the, you know, the time machine 
And we kind of looked at what did Google look like? What, you know, what, what were the different websites they were, were running in 1999? And a ton of it was crazy stuff because people, they were like just putting ideas out there. There were actually a site called Find My Cat where somebody thought they had a business idea of, you know, if your cat gets lost, you can go in there and find it, which is maybe an idea, but it doesn't exist today. So that when the technology is about that 10 years old, that's where half of the ideas out there are just trying out something new. And then you end up getting Amazon and Uber and you end up getting, you know, Google and you get all that stuff when people have tried out, you know, let's make a digital phone book and then it ends up being Facebook. So there, there's this whole iteration about technology looking for problems, creating solutions for problems that may not be the right problems, but then kind of reiterating around themselves for a couple of years. So I'm very much aware of that is actually rather than trying to make a killer app, rather than trying to make Facebook or Uber or Amazon in, in the first hit, we need to find these, uh, try out these ideas, then later convert into better ideas. So let's jump into the specific construction problems you guys were focusing on. Where did you end up with with your six? They're very different. Uh, one of them has to do with logistics, where we trace stuff that's being ordered from a supplier until it's handed out on, on site. So some people will say, but that's easy. I mean, Amazon, that's an Amazon solution. But the thing about logistics in construction is that when you buy something online, you know exactly what you want. You, you can you know, order it how you want it packaged and you know exactly what's going to be delivered and how it's going to be paid for. Now, when we order something in construction, we order it very, very late because usually we don't know, you know 100% what we need. We don't know how to kit it, you know, how to fit it together, how to wrap it, how to package it in, in parcels. And we don't know where it goes and who needs to receive it. And before you can put that on the sticker that goes on the collie, then, uh, then you can't order so what we thought was, what if we have a blockchain that kind of fills up with that information so you can start ordering and you can kind of all the time track that truth, you know, how far is your order and how far is the information? So you can actually change the delivery address up until 50 seconds before it gets on site because there's a single source of truth that can tell you these things. So that's, that's one. And at, at the same time, it's a classic track and trace. So that's one of the cases. And there are no really good logistics tools for construction. If you try to Google software for construction site logistics, it's almost an empty basket. The second thing we're looking at is IoT. IoT is supposed to be huge in construction, but it's, it's actually not. It's not being utilized enough and it's not being spread out enough. We saw one of the problems being that you have all these uh, solutions that are proprietary when you look at the IoT. So as a user, as an end user, the data doesn't get captured in a data layer where you can then cherry pick it from. It gets caught in all these proprietary systems. Some of it due to different protocols, some of it due to people installing different companies, but also due to liability that you don't necessarily want anybody to be able to see everything. So what we're building here is a blockchain that can go in and take, uh, we have a broker system that kind of sources all the information from the IoT and then writes it into a blockchain automatically. So we know it's true because computers lie less than construction people. It's validated data. And then we, we write this blockchain database where some things can be encrypted and where you can have smart contracts that give you funds if certain performance criteria are in place. It's a very fairly slim application that we're starting to build. But it's, it's very interesting to see how we can use the IoT to have people pay for pulling out a report. You know, what's the temperature in apartments uh, and you can source it from all the IoT that we have access to when you are designing new apartments. You know, what's the sunlight ratio of this, that, and the other, you know. But there's a ton of information you can source from it in form of reports, or you can make a performance-based payment and say to your carpenter, well, if your roof is dry as per uh, the specs, you'll get your money. But if the sensors don't prove that the, the roof is dry, then you won't get your money. So that type of uh, uh, thing. That's a really important one for me because that then changes the dynamic around transparency or, or incentive structures. Yeah, yeah. Typically in relatively manual or opaque industries, what you see is management by dispute, right? You're saying, here's the rough contract, you do it and maybe it works or maybe it doesn't. And then I sue you when it doesn't work. And then I delay the payments. I spend a lot of time managing the dispute. My finance team spend a lot of time managing the dispute. Nobody gets paid and it's a bad relationship. Absolutely. Whereas saying, actually, if we, can, if we can agree an objective contract, if we can manage it through technology, actually, I, I might pay you more or I might reward you better 
for doing the job that I need you to do or maybe to do it faster. And then everybody can be encouraged to work to the best of their abilities rather than in, in fear of penalization. Absolutely. And that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is that, that you get the data pushed in because nobody's liable because they can encrypt it. And it's only the people who should see the data that get to see the data. So you also get this liberation of data because when you are in a conflict-filled and very liable industry like construction, nobody likes to give their data away because they know that we have a history of sicking lawyers and quantity surveyors on each other because that's usually an easier way to make money than it is to actually hard labor. So uh, we have a history of uh, having these ongoing conflicts as a way of working. So nobody likes to say, you know, I'll just install a ton of sensors and you can all see how the product is doing. They, they will install these sensors for themselves. But here we can actually make an environment where we say, everybody push their data into the same data lake and you're not liable because you're the only one who can see the data unless you want somebody else to see it, unless they pay for it, unless you give them access. And we know the data is true. It's not just a performance report that we got third party or you to do on your own work. So it takes out a whole level of checks and controls that we also have. The quality assurance schemes in construction are, are huge and horrendous. Tons of pictures and reports and this, that, and the other. We can just say, well, if it performs, it performs. And we can use the validation mechanisms in the blockchain to check that. If you, if you can't stack your evidence high enough, you don't get to hand over your block. You don't, it doesn't get validated and you don't get paid. Now, obviously, there's a part of this, which is some people are benefiting from the lack of transparency or relatively unfair system today. So what needs to be the driver for change here? Because um, if the system isn't fair and people are prepared to game the system or people are prepared to accept the opacity to manage their cash flow or their liquidity, what's going to drive change in that scenario? That's a very good point. I mean, it's we have half the solutions we have are like does not address the reorganization and the other half of the solutions we're looking at really disrupts the current organization and powers in, in construction for us it's also an experiment to see uh, you know that all the people who say they want change in construction and they want things to be different will they actually uh, accept that change when we facilitate it with transparency uh, uh, tools and with the uh, network-based autonomous decision-making processes and all, all that stuff, the distributed network of peers and, and all that that comes out. But there is, I'd say, two things. One thing is we get to test a different way of organizing these things in construction that takes out a couple of middlemen, but also takes out a lot of the conflict. So if we can kind of prove in case in point that, that this works, there is a weariness in construction of always fighting and always spending on our time on something that's not value creating. People did not become architects, engineers, carpenters, whatever, to spend their time fighting. They, yes, they're good at it and yes, they do it, but there is actually a weariness over it that it's taking up too much of our time. People actually want to succeed. The, the question is, are they ready to make the change and have that different experience? Or are they conservative and know what works, the conflict works, uh, so they'll stay in that abusive uh, relationship? And is, is this something that's then down to the regulator to transform? It feels like leaving this to the private sector yeah. presents a little bit of a risk, but also a regulator doesn't necessarily want to over-regulate a sector. Is that something you see happening? Yeah, and we've had so much success with our regulators here the recent couple of years, haven't we? I think it's a little bit of both. There is, uh, there is some of the regulation that needs to change, but I think that there's an awesome McKinsey report that came out three, four years ago about productivity in construction. And it, it was the first time that somebody took a business approach to productivity in construction. And they came out and saying, look, the key lever to raising the uh, productivity is actually that the regulators need to be the facilitators or need to you know, open the, the change, but they can only facilitate and leverage. The actual change has to come from the industry and technology is the key component in changing uh, construction. That has kind of gone through the layers of, of construction and, and people are kind of subscribing to that, that, yeah, you know, the regulators, they have a role in this, but their role is more to, to remove the barriers of people doing things right, because they're also conservative. Regulations are usually conservative. They're not made for the situations we have in five years. They're made for the situations we had five years ago. So having uh, the regulators on board trying to look forward and to remove the barriers for change is actually the key. But I think the industry have to solve their own problems. The regulars being part of the, the industry, we can't just 
you know, lay it back on the government or, or political party or uh, a minister and say, you have to make demands on, on this. I don't think we're going to try and solve for how do you influence a regulator to make change on this episode. I feel like that's one for an entire episode we could do separate to today. But it's a really interesting point that you make that there's a requirement for regulatory change, for business change. It feels like there's technical capability there. It feels like there's also business value there in the McKinsey report that came out. So we've got hope. We've covered the materials traceability. We've covered the contracts optimization. What are some of the other cases you're looking at? We have one that's where we looked at the IoT thing. We looked at the, the logistics. We also have one that's actually, this is one of the little bit more crazy ones. We want to make a blockchain for the client decision making. Because when you make a client decision at McDonald's, it's pretty easy to know what the client decision is. And if you say, this is not what I ordered when you get it, you can go back and look at the bill and say, look, you know. So it's a very clear cut process for that type of industry. In construction, a client and his advisors make millions of decisions. And they're in different phases and they make decisions from five years before we start on site to years after. So having a track and change on that and, and just knowing in what stage these decisions are and what's actually decided and who decided it and when did they change that decision is a huge problem. And we all try to make spreadsheet solutions and then three months into the project, we give up and we say, we'll just we'll put it in the notes and the memos and the drawings and this, that, and the other. And we just lose track of it. So we're trying to source all these different types of information and have a blockchain that's like a single source of truth for client decisions. That kind of where we can go back and say, who actually decided this? And then roll back in the, in the chain of custody, you can say, with the decisions. So that's like the most abstract uh, uh, one we have. We have one where we trace, and this is like the most basic one, you would say, just like you trace the mango in Walmart, we want to trace components in, in construction. But it's a little bit more tricky to trace a component in, in construction than it is to trace a mango because it starts off being, you know, a tree planted in a forest that becomes, you know, somebody's desire to put in a window in a building that becomes a window that gets handed out on site that somebody sticks in. And then maybe 30 years later, we have to pull out the window and say, can we reuse this? Where did this come from? And in that case, we're trying to build what we call a horizontal data chain in a world of vertical information packages. And it's over a time span of 50 to 100 years that we're talking about building these uh, for. So we're talking about building a building pass, and we're starting just with Windows, but then we can uh, always ex expand that. We have, uh, we call it the job lock, but it's actually, uh, it's a smart contract between a craftsman and a client. This one is really interesting in the, in the, uh, in the organizational change department, because what it basically does is it... It's like a, a reputation system or like a, a normal, uh, you know, like a Craigslist type database where you say, we have this job, would you like to do it? And if you can say then, yeah, I would like to, to, to do this job. I would like to put this window in. I would like to speed these floors. I would like to, you know, paint this facade. You get the job. Once you have a proof of work, uh, you know, a stack of evidence that's high enough that you've done the work, you get your funds for it. And if you do a better job, you get more. And if you do a little bit less job, you get less. So it's about applying digital technology to verify that activity has happened, not that you're having a craftsman run a mining rig on proof of work for Ethereum or Bitcoin. Bingo. Very good point. It's more smart contract than it's actually proof of work thing. The thing is, in construction, the general contractors, their business models is actually usually getting paid in advance by the client and then paying off the subcontractors a little bit later. So the cash flow, the positive cash flow you have on a construction side, that's actually what they do for a living. They have positive cash flow. So when you go in and make a solution like this, what do you do as a general contractor? That whole cash flow, that whole payment plan discussion is gone because the client is paying the carpenter directly when the job is done. So it's a good thing for the small businesses and for the suppliers. It's probably a good thing for the clients. But for the general contractors, this is really interesting what's going to happen once they're no longer like the bankers in the middle. That's an interesting one. So you're to a small extent, disintermediating the construction management organization. Yeah. But at the same time, you're still giving them the responsibility for project management. So the dynamics between client and project manager, I guess, is stressed there somewhat. Yeah, how far did we get? The IoT we did? We didn't, yeah. Are we there? Did I miss something? Let's run it back. We did materials traceability. Logistics. We did IoT, logistics, proof of work. I love that one, actually, because there's a direct analogy with one of the previous shows, episode three, which is Proof of Impact, who are looking at applying the exact same digital techniques yes. for verifying that 
um, an impact project in sustainability or health or climate projects can be verified halfway around the world that a beach was cleaned up or a rhino has been saved or turtles have been moved to a safe location or plastics have been recycled. The same concept or the same issue is being addressed in terms of digital proofs, whether it be installation of a window, painting a building or saving turtles. Absolutely. I, I think this is actually one of the places where blockchain is going to have a huge impact in construction because everybody's running around taking pictures with their phone, sending text messages and having these different uh, apps and all that where they kind of, in an old-fashioned Gantt chart kind of way, are trying to prove their work to their foreman or to their boss or to their client. You know, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. But because the processes are not the same every time, because they're made up from scratch every time in construction, it's very difficult to you know, trace the information and to go out and say, who actually did this and where's the documentation? If we put it in a blockchain, even though it's so hard to query, we still get a better structure of the data than we get from the conventional systems of the proof of, of work, not the proof of work is in mining, but as in the proof of impact, that the proof that the job has, has been done. So I just remembered the last one that we didn't do, and that's... Uh, the one digital technology that has actually had a, well, there are two that has had a huge impact on construction is uh, building information modeling, BIM, 3D models of uh, buildings. The other big digital technology is actually mobile technology. It's a different discussion, but the iPads and the smartphones have revolutionized construction because you can't take a PC out on site and you can't take an iPad out. But that's a different, that's a different uh, podcast. The BIM models, the software for that is actually set up on a very old-fashioned CAT way of working, computer-aided design way of working. So the software is usually made as non-collaborative software. So it's individuals sitting around doing designs that are then pushed together every week or every night or every 14 days. And uh, that makes up the federated digital model of the design. And it's, it's an ongoing perpetual process of changes and redesigns and this, that, and the other. And there is actually, you can have good file management and you can have a good tracking of deliverables and all that, but we can't actually track who made changes of everything and when changes, you know, when design decisions were made. So that's one of the things we're doing is we're building in some plugins that writes in the blockchain and we call it, it's like having stamps on your passport. You know, when did you travel in and out and who did what, in, in which country when? just to track the behavior of the people in the design process to see who delivered at what quality at what stage. Just basic file information, tapping that down so we can prove like a chain of custody of the digital design. And the reason this is really important is that we had a case a couple of years ago where somebody, a very big, famous Danish architect, he walked in on, uh, on one of his designers that was sitting around with a visualization. He said, Oh, you know, you have to make a little bit more space here between the columns because then you can see from this room to this door and through the reception. And they just moved 30 columns a little bit to the left and a little bit to the right to make better, a better visual. It's a great idea. The thing translated, because this was a high rise, it translated into 10 million Danish kroners of extra concrete because the base slab needs to be a little bit bigger and some medium slabs had to, and there was just a ton of changes. There was millions uh, worth of changes that were done in a second. And it was pure accident that we found out who had done it and why. And, and this happens all the time in construction, that little design changes have huge impacts and we can't track it. Here we're actually using blockchain to document the transaction. It's, it's not a business transaction as much as it is a data transaction. You get the validation from your peers. Do they accept the change? You get the, the complex data structure that we can play around with. You get the open ledger. You know, you have to write in the big open ledger. I made this design change, you know, sign it with your name and it's there for everybody. And it plays into the distributed network that's actually doing the design rather than to the not so true uh, hierarchy that we put in our organization charts of, you know, how we think the, the design should be made. So actually, rather than having the design organization, the design work kind of being like a shadow organization that kind of does the work in the shadow and documents it in the light, we can actually go in and see who actually did what work, when, why, how. And when we federate it, we can kind of go in and see who did both the good stuff and the bad stuff in the design, who made the changes, who made the improvements. 
do you see that that's going to be driving significant change in behavior? Because obviously an architect, a designer, somebody who's there to be the inspiration behind some great buildings or some really sustainable architecture work or um, some very low cost work, suddenly the pressure or the visibility on the decisions they make is greater. Do you think that's going to have a significant effect on the way work is done? Yeah, I do. So, so all of these blockchains, what, what we're doing is we're trying to build like a, a technology, a proof of concept. And at the end of it, we will, for each one of them, have, you know, the business the, the discussion saying like, how will this change the business model? Because at the end of the day, that's the biggest lever for change that's changing the business model. If you go and look at the people who have really succeeded with digital transformation, it's usually because they've also changed the business model. The Ubers, the Googles, the Amazons, the Apples, the this, that. They have extreme customer focus and they changed the business model. And yes, they did that. They could make that exponential scale because it was digital, because you can't scale exponential if it's made out of chocolate or bricks. It's too difficult. But if it's digital, it's scalable. So I think in, in, in that aspect, some of these can. So for instance, if you take the last case, you can say, today, if you're an architect, you actually don't get paid to make a design. You get paid to make drawings because that's the currency they give in. So I will make a design, I'll put it on drawings, and the collateral I'll give my client is a stack of drawings. Whether they be digital or physical, it doesn't really matter. They're still drawings. So that's my collateral, and for that I get cash. But I actually don't get paid to design. Here we can realign the business model with the value creation. We can go in and say, look, if we can track the development of your models, we can track the quality of your models, both quantitatively and qualitatively, is it good design? Does it match? Is it detailed enough? Does it have enough information? And all that stuff, we can actually reward you for creating value and for delivering a collateral that's not a stack of drawings, but is a design that's coherent and that's complete. That will change the way that architecture companies and uh, engineering companies are run. Because right now they're very focused on delivering on their, uh, you know, on, on the design tables. They have, you know, a, a list of drawings that they have to, to deliver to in a certain revision. And that is at the end of the day what they get paid to do. So they will make sure they hand over all these drawings at these dates and these revisions rather than being enforced in that if you make a good design, you get paid. And it's the same with the, with the logistics. Rather than saying, you know, we get paid to throw this stuff off at the curb, you actually get paid to get the right component in the hand of the right guy at the right time. So we can change the business models of a lot of these things. And there's actually a number of companies that are very interested in getting that change in business model because if you're good at designing, if you're good at logistics, if you're good at components, if you're a good uh, craftsman, you would actually rather get paid to create value than to be good at conflicts or to be good at documentation. If you're a lawyer, it's a little bit different, but they will be eaten by AI, right? <laughs> We'll dispute that one on one of the podcasts I'm going to do around blockchain and the law. But it's really interesting you see that on the one hand, it could have said we're actually we're moving more towards discrete isolation of services and kind of clear handoff points. Whereas actually what you're articulating there is we're creating value. We're being focused on outcomes, yeah. which I think is a much more positive story. And again, it's, it's empowering to the sector. I want to click forward now a little bit because you've talked about the design process. You've talked about the value, the areas in which you can see the transformation. I want to hear a little bit about you guys working with the technology. So as you've then gone into building prototypes, building the blockchain technologies and the, the infrastructure around that, how's that process been? What flavors of blockchain have you been working with? What have some of the challenges been as you've been working with the technology? I'll just preamble this a little bit. We had this idea and we went into this that, hey, actually, blockchain is premature technology. You know, it works out of the box. It, it has these traits that are, you know, if you have a problem, that's suited to well, the characteristics of blockchain, you have a technology that, that kind of plug and play. And that's not quite true. This is actually fairly complicated technology to work with. And there's, uh, there's still some, uh, you know, it's not the most user-friendly technology. Even if you go in and, and take some of the very front-end friendly versions of blockchains, it still requires that, you know, a bit of C-sharp or Python or it's still very much an IT or a, a program uh, a sport to build a blockchain. It's not as easy as we perhaps thought it was. 
We work with a couple of different types of blockchains. So we've worked a little bit with Stella. We work with Hyperledger. We work with Azure Workbench. And then we work with IBM. We looked at the Quorum. We looked at a ton of different technologies. So there's a ton of different technologies that we dove into. But we're right now building primarily in the IBM blockchain, uh, Azure and Hyperledger. Those are the, the, the first cases of running those environments. I, I think our experiences that you need to think a little bit further than we're used to when we build the solutions before you start programming. Because these things, they are tightened up with resin rather than uh, bolts and nuts. So ungluing a blockchain and it's just going, ah, we should change this is not that easy. It, it is a little bit more tricky than we thought initially. We're trying to gather up our experience with, with all of this. We still have one year of uh, bad and good experience uh, ahead of us. There is a couple of things that we, we have, have found. And one is that we spent a lot of time looking at data models and user stories, just like we would with any other technology. And we spent a lot of time looking at interfaces to the technologies that supply the data or that exhibit the data or that front ends the, the data. So the integration bit is also uh, a lot. So those three things were not necessarily what we were thinking that we were going to work with when we started working with blockchain. But I mean, just like if you work with ERP systems or something else, those three things actually end up taking up a lot of the discussions. The last thing I'll say about blockchain, it's not a very sexy technology visually. It's a hard sell. If you look at a blockchain, on a good day, it looks like something out of SharePoint. <laughs> and I mean that <laughs> as derogatory as you can, can hear that. It's really boring. And, and you get these so windows with just some hashes and some data and some, it looks really boring. It's also difficult to take the technology directly to the users and say, so this is the, the type of solution we're building because it looks really dull, because it is basically a, a very structured database and you kind of have to understand what it does before it's uh, interesting. So those are some of the challenges that we maybe underestimated when we went into this. And are you telling me that Denmark, the country that has probably one of the gold medals for design and aesthetic, can't make blockchains look sexy? Oh, we will. We will. But it's, it's going to cost us. Now, we're spending a lot of time, uh, IBM, especially the, the project that they are, are running together with the Supreme, they're spending a ton of time on wireframes and user interactions and, and all that. Because we know that in order for somebody to use this, they don't care if it's blockchain or not blockchain. They care if it works. So uh, we're spending uh, a, a ton of time on user interfaces and user journeys and uh, how few clicks should it be and, uh, and also automation. Automation is a huge thing in this project as well. How can we automate uh, that the data gets written into the blockchain so we can take some of the clerical uh, work and errors uh, out of it? But we'll try and make it look uh, not horrible. I look forward to the outcomes of that one. And I definitely empathize <laughs> with some of the challenges there is blockchain at its core is an infrastructure layer, an ability to aggregate data or an ability to create automation around that aggregation of data. In the same way you don't show somebody the back end of an SAP system or an Oracle database, you don't really want to show them the back of a blockchain either, unless they're really curious. But like you said, it's about outcomes. It's about user interface and it's absolutely about integration. When your lowest common denominator is a tradesperson or somebody who's working from a laptop and a phone at the best case, you've got to try and solve for the usability and the integration there. Or when you've got a very large number of small logistics companies or small project management companies, these guys aren't digital leaders necessarily. They'll be digitized, of course, but you can't expect all of them to be managing native APIs. So I think that's a big part of every learning in any blockchain project is not just crafting the blockchain and the smart contracts. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's why I, I also love the title of your podcast, you know, the blockchain will save the world because we can get people interested in this project because it says blockchain on it. People are curious. They want to know what it is, but blockchain won't do anything for you. Blockchain is actually just, as you say, it's a medium, it's a technology. What is actually will create the value and what will actually save the world is the data. The, the data management, and in construction, we don't have that much data. We can lure people into the discussion because they're curious about blockchain and they heard that it's the new internet. And then we can uh, we have CEOs and craftsmen and architects and engineers and uh, IT people and the developers in the same room. And we can have a discussion with them and we can start talking about data. And they can see that that data discussion 
becomes applicable to their everyday life because the blockchain can manage data in a different way than the conventional systems can. So it's because it's not the internet. It's because it's not an ERP system. It's because it's not a smartphone, but because it does something else with the data. And we have different roles in how we aggregate and use the data in a, in a blockchain than we do in the other systems, that this all of a sudden becomes a good opportunity for a lot of people at least to look into. Because where your Oracle database will throw up if you have, if you go and explain, well, we have a chaotic autonomous network environment rather than a hierarchical organization. You know, you can just see the guys from, I'm not trying to, you know, Oracle, SAP, I, you know, insert your own uh, big ERP system brand. And the whole thing about having a single source of data where we say, yeah, that's not a discussion in blockchain because everything is validated. It's real. So it's, we don't need to build these Sauron towers of a single source of truth with a burning eye that can look out over the organization and spot the true, the true data. We can actually say, well, everything that's in the pool, everything that's in the data layer is true because it's based on transparency and accountability, stuff that also is not usually connected to these types of uh, databases. And when we say, well, we have a multiple of types of transactions and transaction processes, the blockchain is also happy to accept that and, and conventional systems hate that. So we can actually get people into the room and have a, a discussion about data that they couldn't have before because we think we may have this data layer or this data management system that can manage it in a way that actually is applicable for the way that they work uh, rather than forcing them to change the way that they work so the system works. And so it feels like there's a data transformation, a process transformation journey to be had on top of the types of application or use case that you're already starting to build. I'm going to try and tie you down to a commitment here. Based on the roadmap that you see ahead of you and the work and the learning that you've had since being there at the dawn of the internet, since a year on this journey in construction, specifically around blockchain applications, how soon do you think it will be before we see meaningful transformation in the sector? I think it will happen in uh, three to five years. And I think it's going to be uh, assisted by other things. I think blockchain is, is, is just one of the parameters, just like the World Wide Web was one of the parameters and the smartphone was one of the parameters. But I, I think that the change is going to happen. It's going to explode over the next uh, three to five years in uh, construction because the technology is, is getting cheaper, it's getting better, and it's getting more relevant. And it actually helps us to perform at a higher rate than we could before. And the reason I'm fairly confident about this is because if you take two of the latest technologies we, we got in construction, that's uh, it's reality capture and generative design. And those are, I mean, reality capture, we started with drones, what, five years ago, something like that, drones with cameras, doing flyovers and having a little bit of laser scanning and this, that, and the other. And that is going to seriously reduce the amount of time a lot of things take and to give transparency and clarity on a ton of stuff that we can laser scan buildings and that we can automate processes out of the reality that we capture. And that's, that's coming in so fast and getting adopted so fast because it makes sense and because it's good business. It's the same with generative design. I don't know if your readers know this in depth, but rather than having one engineer doing one piece of design over 20 hours to design you know, a, a concrete slab or something like that, we have the computer generate a couple of million design alternatives and then pick the one that's cheapest, best, most sustainable and can be built with the materials and competencies we have. So we, we can optimize this and it'll take you know, 19 minutes. So these automation processes are coming in, in fast and hard and they will enable the changes that are needed in construction because they are digital technology that solves unique construction problems and uh, challenges, whereas it's difficult to prove productivity and value in construction with ERP systems and emails. And I mean, they're just, it's not really helping because it's not solving our problems. It's solving our accounting and our documentation. But these unique technologies that are coming here now are cheap and they're coming out fast. Virtual reality, drones, generative design was signed 10 years ago. And now it's available at Toys R Us for no money whatsoever. And they're revolutionizing technologies. So, so these will come three to five years. I really like the analogies there because you've taken some of the technologies that we've had for a long time and it's very clear the value of what they offer, but it's taken that adoption curve, like you said, five years. We've had virtual reality for a long time. We've had drones for a long time, but to get into practical application to become accepted, it's taken a bit of time. 
I'm not sure whether you're going to see Hyperledgers and Ethereums on the shelves of Toys R Us, but you make a good point around the, the cost of implementation, the acceptance and the value case has to be there. I look forward to checking back with you in three years to try and see whether that prediction has taken place. I'm really excited that Copenhagen and, and Denmark are leading the way on this one. I've had similar conversations in the UK and in some other countries as well. And honestly speaking, people are pessimistic because of a lot of the drivers or a lot of the traditional orthodoxies around the construction industry that people just think won't change. They think people can't change. But as you've shown, it's taken other examples from other industries or from Maersk or from Walmart to have Copenhagen and your groups and the people you're working with spin up and get things going. So it's possible and progress can be made and I'm excited to see what you guys get up to. Before we close the show, the usual question, where can people find you, Nils? What are you working on right now? And what else have you got going on in your life? Oh, they can they can find me in Copenhagen. We have a office in Blockstop in, in Copenhagen where I am. And we also have an office in, in, in San Francisco where we go every once in a while. And they can find me on LinkedIn. I try to be active on LinkedIn. And I also try to, to write in, uh, in English there. We're working with a ton of different stuff. We work with reality capture and uh, generative design, and we work with blockchain, but we also work with robotics and uh, exoskeletons. So we try to work with the technology that people say, you know, in 10 years time, we'll probably have this. We, we try to say, yeah, let's see if we can do it next year instead. So the, if, if that's what interests people, we mature avocados for construction. We take the, the hot fruits and make them soft and edible, and then we see if we can scale it. I'm just imagining you guys in an office with an exoskeleton strapped on beating the hell out of avocados, which is probably a good way to spend your time if someone's willing to pay for it. Niels, thank you so much again for taking the time. It's been great to go through your thoughts on construction, to get through some of the learnings, strap on the yoga pants, light some candles and share some wisdom and wit. I really appreciate you joining the show and hope you have a great rest of your week. Thanks for having me. Be safe. Thank you for listening to the Blockchain Won't Save the World podcast. All opinions here expressed are those of myself and my guests. If you're looking for more, you can follow me on LinkedIn for more blockchain-related content. And until next time, stay safe out there.